When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. When I was younger, I, I just felt a real, um, you know, I could go and take a walk in the woods and just everything would kind of, every little thing would blow my mind. And I would had a, had a sense of wonder about every little thing, focusing in on something small and just, just the miracle that anything exists at all and that everything is kind of alien and strange. That would just kind of fuel my art. And I think over like 10 years of touring and like good and bad experiences with that, I think I got a little, a little worn out. And then I'd already been off of tour for a year when the pandemic started. And so I was already kind of like in the mode of not touring. Once that happened, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, you don't have to tour right now and maybe try and focus on, on getting back to that childlike wonder you know remembering the world is a miraculous place despite all the shit that is constantly being thrown at us welcome to yesterday's concert a podcast that celebrates live music my name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Kyle Thomas, better known as the veteran indie rocker, King Tough. We talk about Small Town Stardust, the new King Tough album. We also discuss becoming more vulnerable with age. Grab your earplugs while we revisit some childhood nostalgia. I am here with the King Tough, aka Kyle Thomas. How are you today, Kyle? Oh, I'm wonderful! I love it. I love the enthusiasm. And what you're out in LA? I sure am out here. It's like probably like 80 degrees. It's not right. I'm insanely jealous of our 40 degrees right now. I honestly would rather be 40 degrees. You know, I'm a big fan of winter feeling like winter. So it's a little strange when it gets really hot here in the winter. I don't like it so much. Well, and that's, we were just out in LA back in November. Even just like, aside from like it feeling amazing the entire time we were there, I would look to my left and there's the ocean. I would look to my right, there's the mountains. And then there's just this big bustling city in between. The city just doesn't, it's just a bonker city all in all. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, there is every kind of nature here. Yes. Which I think a lot of people don't realize how much nature there is around. And yeah, it's just, it's a very strange place. There's nowhere else people like it, I don't think. I want to get into that, but we're going to hold off because I want to start with some icebreakers so you and I can get to know each other and have a little fun. So my first question, and I, this is based on all the research I've done about you, what do you think is the best Beatles solo project? Ooh, damn. <laughs> Come in with the hot questions. <laughs> Obviously, the first John's first two records are pretty unbeatable. I can't pick just one. I love so much of Paul's solo stuff. Obviously, George. 
Ringo. He tried. Ringo tries. And it's great. Damn. If I had to pick one, I might go Plastic Ono Band. Can't go wrong with it. But I'd say that Ram is a close second. Can't go wrong with that one either. There's no wrong answers here. There really are no wrong answers. It's just hard, you know? It hurts to answer these questions. Well, this one might hurt a little worse then. Oh, God. Here we go. The Beatles' wide album. Better as a double disc, or should they have made it down to one? Should be longer. Ooh, tell me more. Should be a triple. What about a quadruple? Why stop there? <laughs> I can't get enough. I I want more. I'm just a Beatle maniac. What can I say? There, so there's no duds, no skippable tracks on that album for you? On the White Album, I don't skip. Man, I love it. You're a man of his art. Like, I love it. That's beautiful. There's not many skips in the entire Beatles catalog for me. What's one that you would skip then? Like, can you think of one that you might skip in general? I mean, for many years, it was the long and winding road, but I've grown to love that too over the years. A little too melodramatic? What was wrong with it? Yeah, I think I needed, uh, maybe I wasn't wise enough for it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I hadn't experienced enough heartbreak yet, but uh, I've grown to like it. Lately, I've been really into uh, Free as a Bird. I've been learning that one on the piano. Oh, is it going to pop up on tour? Or are you just doing it for funsies? We'll see. That's, uh, I think that was a hot tip right there. So uh, next question. Since there's a lot of classic rock influence on this album, who's an artist or a song that you think is overlooked by classic rock radio? Oh, wow. Someone like Gene Clark comes to mind. Obviously, he was in The Birds, and that stuff's not overlooked, but his solo records are so good. Pretty under the, I mean, they're obviously like popular among hipsters and stuff, but still like mainstream world doesn't really know about those records. What's one of his solo records that you really recommend? Oh, man. I mean, there's one called White Light, I think. Obviously, no other is, you know, a lot of people's favorite. But there's one called Roadmaster that's really good, too. Yeah, there's so much, you know? It's like, music just keeps going. I'm really into this record called Fox. It's kind of like a glammy... I don't know how to describe it. There is some shades of ABBA, but it's also glammy rock, too. But all the songs are really good. And really good production, too. I saw you mention that one on another site. and. I looked, I couldn't find it on streaming anywhere. It's a hidden gem. Spotify, it doesn't come up instantly if you just put Fox in. You have to like type one of the song titles. So type in The Juggler by Fox. I will do a deep dive after we finish talking. So I appreciate the recommendation. Okay, so next question. You have an extensive record collection. When you're browsing for discovery, what moves the needle for you to buy something that you've never heard of? In the past, my collecting has mainly focused on like experimental music and ethnographic records from all around the world. I have a buddy that was really into collecting all that kind of stuff and got me into it and kind of opened my whole world up to this whole other zone of collecting, which kind of feels like the final frontier of record collecting, especially like the ethnographic records. Because those records, you know, it's like traditional music from different countries, you know, mostly field recordings. 
but what's contained in those records is the most psychedelic music you'll ever hear. It's like the true psychedelic music. So raw and like magical. And I just got kind of obsessed with the discovery within that world. It's just mind boggling. Every once in a while, you'll hear something that's like, you know, a lot of it will be just like drums or like someone playing a flute solo, but you'll start to hear little bits of like modern music coming through and you can kind of trace the lines backwards. It's pretty incredible. That's really cool. All right. So I got two more questions. You can spend the day with one of these two guys. Do you pick Harry Nilsson or Alex Chilton? Nilsson by far. Oh yeah, what's that? <laughs> I know, I know. Chilton's at Memphis. Yeah, he is. I'm a little hurt, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let. I'm gonna let it slide. I love Big Star. I mean, I, I mean, Big Star has played has been such a huge influence on me. I guess I don't really know too much about Alex Chilton as a person, so I don't. Yeah, I don't really have anything to go on there. Shouldn't that be more reason to spend the day with him so you get to know him? Maybe you're right. But Harry just seems kind of like it would be... It'd be a lot of fun. It would be crazy fun. Okay, so last question, and this will 100% be the hardest one I ask you today. In your opinion, what is the most premier top-shelf fruit, in your opinion? <laughs> the most top-shelf fruit? I mean, I am a sucker for watermelon. In the summer, I basically have a watermelon diet. I could just eat that. But there is these like special watermelons that I've been getting. They're black watermelons. Whoa. I think they're like, well, you know, in Japan, they have all these super specialty watermelons that are like $100 each. I think this is like maybe a version of one of those that they started growing in the States or something. But it's just incredible. It's per circular, uh, round watermelon. And just... Perfect consistency, perfect crunch, perfect le level of sweetness. So, what's your uh, what's your method for picking one? Are you a knock, or you? A, how do you pick it out? Well, you want to make sure that it's got kind of the a spot on it. You know, there's sometimes there's like a light spot on it. That's good. You want to you want to have that. But other than that, I just kind of you got the touch. I just sense. I just sense their auras. <laughs> Picks them up if they feel like my baby, then they're mine. <laughs> well, I'm gonna take you watermelon shopping then because I have never been good at picking them out. So, pal, that was silly and all, but I really appreciate just having some fun to get started. So, let's talk about your incredible and I absolutely mean that word incredible new album, Small Town Stardust. It's been a while since you put out an album. What took so long for this album to come out? Well. I mean, partially pandemic. It was done over a year ago. And also, you know, the production times are all backed up. So I handed it in over a year ago and, and they're like, well, it's going to come out January of next year. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait around till then. But it's fine, you know. I think touring takes a lot out of me. And it takes me a long time to recover after a tour and like feel like I can write again. So I'm kind of trying to balance that a little bit more starting with this album. My real passion is being in the studio and 
writing and recording the creative side of it. I love playing the shows, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with touring that is exhausting. So yeah, I'm just trying to balance it out a little bit more in the writing recording zone. So hopefully next time it won't be as long. So when you're on the tour versus when you're writing, you really compartmentalize the two and you're not able to kind of balance in between the two, right? Totally different headspace I have to be in. Tour is like work mode. It's not a party. It is work. And it's like a 24 hour a day job, you know? And it's mentally and physically exhausting. But it's also, you know, there's great rewards to it. Playing and connecting with people is incredible. But that's only like one hour out of the day. So yeah, I almost have to go into a meditative state when I'm on tour. Is there a reward for being able to work so hard on the songs in the studio, then turn around and play them live? Is there a reward in that? Or is it just, or is it more rewarding to write and record it? No, it is. It is great to play them live because oftentimes, and definitely on this new record, they take on a, a different form live. And it's really interesting to see where they go. And especially, you know, like playing with different people the songs change too. So I like that aspect of it. Also, like a lot of the songs, you know, I write them in the studio and and record them as I'm writing. So they are not ever actually performed until I get the band together to go on tour. So that's always interesting. It's like, okay, I made this like perfect recording, but can we actually play perform this song? (laughs) I think a lot of people do it that way now, and it is different than it was in the past. You know, a lot of old recordings are just people actually playing in a room, but it's not done that way as much anymore. Well, so when did you write this album? Was it, did you write it during the pandemic or was it early 2021? When did you write it? I started writing in 2019. A lot of the songs like Rock River, Bandits of Blue Sky. Portrait of God is a song that's older and that I've been playing on my during my previous record, but it kind of changed over the years. The Wheel is a really old song that's like 15 years old, has gone through some different forms. How I Love is a song Sasami wrote like in 2018. So a lot of it was kind of floating around before the pandemic. But yeah, once once we got into that, kind of almost immediately just started demoing everything and making it more solidified into actual songs. Well, so, I mean, you said in another interview that this album combines the memories of childhood with music that echoes the influence of your youth. You wanted to make an album that reminded yourself life is magical. Can you explain that a little bit to me? When I was younger, I I just, I could go and take a walk in the woods and just everything would blow my mind. And I would had a sense of wonder about every little thing focusing in on something small and just the miracle that anything exists at all and that everything is kind of alien and strange that would just kind of fuel my art over like 10 years of touring and like good and bad experiences with that. I think I got a little worn out because I was already, you know, I was already been off of tour for a year when the pandemic started And so I was already in the mode of not touring. And once that happened, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, you don't have to tour right now. And maybe try and focus on, on getting back to that 
childlike wonder. And so I, I think that's what I meant by that. It's just, uh, you know, remembering that the world is a miraculous place, despite all the shit that is constantly being thrown at us. Did you grow up on kind of like classic rock wings and all those kind of artists? Was that kind of your upbringing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my dad is a, a big music lover and he definitely raised us on some good stuff early on. So I had a kind of a head start in that way. And yeah, I mean, I was listening to like Hendrix when I was like seven on, on headphones and just getting my, my mind blown. Were you talking about discovering the magic of the world while exploring nature while you're also getting your mind blown by Hendrix at age seven? Do you think there's a correlation to those two things when you were writing this album? Because I mean, when I hear it, I hear heavy 70s pop rock influences on it. Do you think there was a connection in between those two things? For whatever reason, classic rock is kind of just my genre. <laughs> I don't like set out to make a retro sounding album or write retro songs or anything that's just kind of what comes out of me for better or worse so i guess that's what i try and do and then i don't know yeah it's all it's all connected so were you trying to write timeless songs with this album was that kind of an intention in your songwriting yeah i mean it's not it's not like really something you can try and do you know it's just like i think the forms of the songs are pretty classic and the topics. There's a lot of people that try and reinvent the wheel. And I think that's amazing. That's just not really what I do. I just like good songs. And I, I kind of just let the songs go whatever way they want to go. You know, sometimes it's it's heavy rock songs that come out. Other times it's gentle folk songs. I just let them go where they're going. And I can't really control that. I mean, that goes back to what you were saying earlier about having to kind of compartmentalize studio time versus touring time because you're you're having to let that muse approach you. I mean, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, you can't force it, that's for sure. Anytime you try and do that, it's almost guaranteed to be shit. <laughs> well, so, I mean, that's my first thing when I came, that came to mind was like somebody like Jeff Tweedy, who they take songwriting as their profession. He literally goes to his office every day, sits down and writes a song. So you're kind of saying a little differently than like you have to have the muse come to you before you can write a song? Well, I do think you can do it that way, certainly. And some people are better at that than others. I know for me personally, I'm not very good at that style. I've done that. I've done like songwriting sessions with people and we always do come out with something and sometimes it's good. And I do think it is important to work the muscle. I think if, if you do do that every day, you can get very strong at it and it can become just second nature. But I, I've never been able to really pull that off <laughs> for whatever reason. For me, it's like a song will just come to me at like three in the morning. And then I'm like, it's just there. You got to go take care of it. I mean, I've definitely written songs where I kind of had to push it out and work on it. And the more I worked on it, the better it got. But then there's songs that just come out and they're just there. My song Sun Medallion, I wrote it in like 10 minutes and recorded it like within an hour. And it's still my most popular song. So it's like, those are the ones I'm always looking for, <laughs> you know? I mean, do you feel like 
as far as your artistry and what you create, like what you're most proud of? I think it is those ones because they just seem like they came from somewhere else. And to me, that's like the, the true magic of music is that it feels like it's coming from somewhere else and art in general, I think. My perception of this album, and I may be way off base, was at its core, this is a very reflective album. It seems like you were really in a, a place of deep introspection when you wrote this. Is that accurate? I'd say so. You know, I'm I'm 40 now. I feel like a lot of my older music was trying to get at some kind of youthful party. You know, I don't really feel that anymore. I feel like this record is very much a record that a 40-year-old would write, which is cool, you know? I like that. I'm really a fan of, like, really old people making records. Like, uh, everyone's obsessed with youth. I want to hear the 85-year-old grandma's record, synth record. <laughs> record I want. These kids don't know what they're doing. I want grandma's synth record. Well, I think you need to produce that. If you produce that, it's going to be the, the hottest thing this summer. <laughs> I think it would be. It's going to replace Dua Lipa, and we're going to have you to thank for that. You know, we're, we're going to make it happen. I love it. Well, so, I mean, talking about being 40 and doing that, do you think that aging has made it easier to be more vulnerable in your songwriting? I think so, because I also just don't care as much anymore. You know, like, I feel I'm just trying to make music that I like. And that's all you can really do. You can't make it for anyone else other than yourself. Because there's always going to people be people that don't like it, and there's always going to be people that connect with it. So, like, you can't predict that. So you just have to make stuff that you like and not worry about what anyone else is going to say. Do you feel like you've fallen victim to that on previous records? Definitely felt pressure to, and whether it just is coming from myself or outside sources, I felt a pressure to kind of make like energetic rock music or a certain kind of style, or I felt this project King tough had kind of become this thing that had to be one way, which it was never supposed to be like that. So this time I'm, I was just like, you know, it's, it's gotta be whatever I want it to be. It's going to go. And the next one could be completely different. Well, that, that was what I was going to ask is, do you think it's just you've morphed the King Tough brand, for lack of better words, to just being whatever you're feeling, whatever muse comes to you? Do you think it's kind of morphed into that now? Yeah, that's what I would like. I want it to just be whatever it is. It could be instrumental uh, revolution number nine, if you want to bring back <laughs> to the White Album. So yeah, it's, it's just whatever comes out of me. As a songwriter, do you think your ability to share that introspection has progressed over the years? Do you think you're better at sharing those emotions? I think so. A lot of the lyrics on the new album are a lot more genuine and less silly. There's still like some humorous elements in there, but I think, you know, for a long time, it was kind of a cartoonish aspect, which I mean, I am sort of a, a cartoon, so I, I accept that. But, you know, I got feelings too. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Well, that's, I mean, like, I'm I'm not a big lyrics guy, but like I was paying attention to yours on this album. And one of the things that really hit me is just because of where I'm at in life. I'm married. I'm My wife is pregnant. And you you say, because I'm holding on to wonder, holding something I can't touch. We're all grappling for better times, better days. I mean, you know, I just think about how stressful life is right now. If I have to 
create a home where this child will feel safe and loved. And I mean, even listening to your album, the nostalgia overwhelmed me just thinking about like some of the influences you talked about, just like, yeah, it would be nice to be a kid again. It would be nice to feel that comfort. Was that an emotion that you kind of experienced as you were writing this? I mean, I think everyone, everyone is kind of just a big kid that a lot of people suppress it. And I think a lot of artists are definitely still kind of more still in that zone of, yeah, just the creativity and wonder. You have to maintain some sense of that to make things, I think, and to be inspired. You have to be able to be enamored or curious. You need curiosity. So, yeah, I just, uh, I think that's really important. And I think that that's kind of lacking in the world. So are you hoping that this album inspires other people to connect like that? Or do you think it's more almost therapeutic for you to reconnect with that part of your life? I mean, it's certainly for me, like writing music and making art is medicine for me. It is like therapy for me. It's like the only thing that makes me feel good. (laughs) So, I mean, I feel happy most of the time, but when I write a song and record it, it's like the best feeling in the world. Or if I make anything that I like, it's just like, wow, like creating something really just makes my attitude much better. And yeah, of course, I hope that that people hear that and do it themselves. I really just wanted to make something that was joyful and felt good to listen to and that people would listen to over and over again. Just because especially, again, the world is just constantly throwing shit at us. So we need to combat it some some way. Well, I mean, going back to what you were talking about earlier about just how much you love being in the studio and writing, do you think that that desire that you have to create is why you enjoy that aspect of making music so much more than touring and playing live? Yeah, I mean, that's why I got into music was the creative part of it. Because, you know, I'm also very much a visual artist. And yeah, I just like doing things with my hands and making things appear out of nothing, I guess. That to me is the magic of, of art is that you just are, there's these ideas and you're just bringing them into reality, especially music. Cause it's just, it's just this strange thing. And it has such a power to affect people. And to me, that's the funnest part of it is trying to harness that. Obviously live shows do that in a very powerful way too. It's just everything that goes along with it. That's the hard part. There's three songs on the album that I want to talk about because they're just absolutely my favorite and I want to hear more about them. So the first one is Portrait of God. Can you tell me more about when that, because you mentioned it had been on tour with you for a little while. Can you tell me about where that one came from? Yeah, that had just been a song that was kind of brewing over the years and it kept changing. I originally recorded it for the other, my previous album. It was a bit different. It was a bit more silly. It it was a bit more bluesy. And there was like a whole middle section that was kind of a cosmic sax solo. (laughs) I hope that comes back because that sounds amazing. (laughs) 
anything could happen. <laughs> and then I did like a little solo tour where I was kind of playing it acoustic and that kind of changed there. And then, then when I was on the other tour, we started playing it and sort of, and it was much more kind of Grateful Dead zone. And then when we went to do the record, this record, we needed kind of more of a upbeat song. So we found where it is now. But yeah, I guess like lyrically, it just kind of encapsulates my my feelings about art and music and creating, where a lot of times I, I'm saying things just kind of come out of thin air and it's like, where did that come from? And that's kind of spiritual to me. But also what's heavily about nature as religion and when I first took mushrooms and stared up at the sun and it looked like kaleidoscope of rainbows, I was like, well, that's clearly God. <laughs> Why aren't people like, it's so obvious that the sun is God. Why don't more people talk about that? Like a giant ball of energy that made everything grow that we can't even look directly at. What else could be God? So it just got me thinking, what do other people picture as God in their head? Like, do people actually think it's an old white guy with a beard? You know, <laughs> that's a bit ridiculous. Do you think this is one of the more profound songs that you've ever written? I mean, that's a pretty deep theological conversation you're having right there, really and truly. Sure. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it is still like a very fun song. Oh, it's definitely a fun song. But I mean, the concepts that you're discussing in the song are not just the flowers. You're talking about something much, you know, this is not something you just sit down and talk or you don't talk about in the grocery line. This is something you have coffee and discuss at hours at length. I mean, pretty much every time I'm waiting in the grocery line, I bring this up to someone. Well, I'm I'm going to check out at a different line than you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. No, it's definitely, yeah, definitely. I, I'm I'm getting into some deeper subjects on this record. I'd say. Well, I, I hope that there's more choreographed dances in your future. Yeah, that was a uh, that was interesting. For those who don't know, watch the music video for Portrait of God. There's a, a very rousing and quite honestly sexual choreographed dance at the end of the Portrait of God video. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. That was all. That, that was all. Uh, Sasami. She was like, "We need to do some choreo here," and I'm like, "Oh, we do." Uh. And she she came up with that. And, you know, I got to say, I did a pretty good job. I mean, you looked like a natural. I was highly impressed. <laughs> Very impressed, man. Well, uh, another serious one, Pebble in a Stream. Tell me about that one. It's another beauty. Yeah. The seed of that song came from when I was on tour. There was a, a woman doing sound at one of the shows, and she had told me that she really liked my record, The Other. And she said, she was like, when I listen to it, it's like pebbles in a stream. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's like the best thing anyone's ever said to me. So I immediately was like, that's definitely, there's something there. But then, you know, I started thinking about in my relationships, it's like, I, I tend to be attracted to people that are the opposite of me in some ways, but it, it works somehow. We kind of balance each other out. So that related to pebbles in a stream to me like two things that go together but they're very different so yeah that's kind of you know it's a love song 
that's you know i just kind of ran with that that's lovely so the the last one i want to talk about is my favorite on the album and i think it's yours from what i've read bandits of blue sky oh yeah it's freaking fantastic man i love that song tell me more about that one thank you so much i'm glad that that people are finding that song because it's it's relatively late in the track list i wanted to release it as a single but it didn't actually it didn't happen that way but that's just a song that a couple of years ago i bought a piano was never a piano player but it's something i've always wanted to learn to me it's kind of the ultimate instrument and so i just bought a piano and started trying to figure it out and learning songs and I actually, I learned easy like Sunday morning. Oh, dude, I love that song. Commodores. I was just playing the chords and I kind of just started playing them in a different order. And that song just started to kind of come out. And I just started singing those words. This is a good example of just something coming from nowhere. And I just started singing those words. I had no idea what it meant. But I, I liked it because it is kind of that McCartney type thing of like a character and that you kind of just kind of make a story around. So I just went with that. And then I was like, well, there's these bandits. What What's a good name for the kind of ringleader? And there was this guy named Red Tooth. When I was growing up, we used to see this guy walking up and down the street. And my dad would always say, there's Red Tooth. And me and my brother would get really excited. We didn't know anything about him. He was just a strange <laughs> guy walking around. But that just seemed like a really good name for the bandit ringleader. But yeah, that one, like, I, I feel like I had the piano part, but I could hear the song. And I, I really think we accomplished what I heard in my head. You got some tour dates coming up. Are you going to be playing songs off Small Town Stardust on that tour? I think we're going to play the whole record. I love that. You're going to do it start to finish? You're going to do like, a, like one of the album tours? I kind of like that vibe. I, I'm not sure if we'll do the exact track list. Maybe we will. I mean, we're certainly going to play some oldies too but i like the vibe of here's the new shit that to me is like that's the exciting stuff to play because it's it's a like harder for me to play so it's more of a challenge and it's it's more exciting and also like this album in particular is very produced and very lushly arranged vocally and uh, you know there's strings and all kinds of stuff something i could never recreate live so it's going to be a little different, which is cool. I'm I'm a big fan of when bands change it up for the live show. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Let me ask you this while I'm thinking about it. So one of the things that I find interesting about legacy artists is when like Paul McCartney, he came out with an album a year or two ago, and he's got so many classic hits in his discography. And then he pushes the new songs in the show. You know, when I saw Neil Young, he had just come out with the Monsanto album and like 60% of the set was songs from that album. It's like, dude, I don't want to hear any of those songs. I want to hear Heart of Gold. I want to hear the classics. How do you balance that? Because I mean, you have a good discography that people want to hear. So how do you balance that? Well, like I said, I think it's like about playing the new stuff because that's what's exciting to the artist. Maybe the fans don't want that, but a lot of times they just don't know the songs uh, well enough yet and then say a couple years down the line those songs will be classic by then and they'll be like oh yeah i saw him do those songs when that album came out and they might remember it a little better than like when they actually saw it but at the same time like 
man, I saw Dylan play this year, and it was pretty much all the new record, the rough and rowdy ways, and it was mind blowing. So I'm not that kind of person. I I want to hear the new shit. But I saw him on this tour as well. It was the first time I'd seen him in like twelve years. I knew going in that that's how Dylan was going to be. I loved seeing the reaction of people not enjoying it. That that was so Bob Dylan was to see him pissing off the crowd like that. I know it's so funny. You understand how guarded he is because like people have such a strong reaction to him, and like there, you know, the crowd at this show was very boomer. There was like a woman next to me who kept being like, "Come on, Dylan, play. Times they are changing." <laughs> So I understand why he's like so kind of combative. It's it's awesome. So when the when the rowdy fans are at your show are screaming for was dead songs and you're like, no, you're gonna take this small town stardust and you're gonna like it. Yeah. We can liken you to Bob Dylan then. I don't believe you. You're a liar. <laughs> well, Kyle, I appreciate your time today, man. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm, like I said, I love the new album. Great job. Really appreciative that you put it out into the world for us to hear it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yesterday's Concert. Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, And most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.